You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Praise God. You can be seated. It's kind of hard to sit down after that, isn't it? Finishing out this passage from John's gospel, starting in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we can't help but be filled with such awe in knowing that you conquered our death and then you drew near to us in our disbelief. Thank you, Lord. As we come to you now to continue learning from your word, would you please allow your Holy Spirit to fill us with a unique, timely kind of power that we would be aware of your presence, that we would be drenched in your presence that there wouldn't be a soul in this place who could escape the reality of you and your saving grace. Help us, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So as we read this account, uh, we follow along with John. And and John, remember, is writing things as an older man now. He, He had been walking 
uh, with the Lord, not just for those three years, but then walking in the Spirit, following Jesus after Jesus had left, and then he's writing these things down, and he wants to remind us of the death of Jesus, how he died, and he wants us to remember that Jesus was actually buried, that this is a thing that's known to history. Names are named, locations are given, details are described. He wants us to remember that Jesus could not be held down by the grave, but that he conquered it and left it, shamed and beaten in that garden. He wants us to remember that Jesus didn't just raise from the dead and then go back to his rightful place at the right hand of the Father, but he took the time to reveal himself to his disciples, to teach them, to meet with them in their doubt and their disbelief. It's no accident here, ladies in the room, that the first person to come heralding the resurrection is a woman plays an integral part in the outworking of the gospel. And then as the men catch up to the news and they begin running to the grave to see what's happened, I don't know if you ever try to place yourself in this moment, but I I identify, I think, more with John, who is the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's named here, who's real quick to get there, but then when you arrive, you kind of get cautious. And you look into the tomb, it's dark in there, like dead people. Maybe some of you are more like Peter. You're trying to keep up and you want to get there as quickly as you can. Somebody may get there first, but you're barreling through because you're going to figure this out. But both of them, no matter what personality type, no matter what part they play in the story, both of them end up believing because the place where Jesus had been laid was empty. John wants to remind us of this. And then Jesus, Jesus' post-resurrection is actually, I think, hilarious. He's constantly sneaking up on people, uh, just appearing in, in locked up rooms and things. Peace! Ah! But after these moments, you know, he's inspiring belief because he's giving evidence of the fact that he's alive because, as Paul later says, a person who was a, an immense sinner, saved by God's grace, Paul later says, look, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then we who love him and follow him are all people most to be pitied because we've devoted our lives to a living God. And if he's dead, we worship a dead man. But if he's alive, because Paul goes on to say, but in fact, he has been raised from the dead. So then we gather in this room, maybe some of us, God in his grace has revealed this truth to us and we have believed and yet maybe some of us find ourselves in the place of Thomas. Maybe some of us have heard this news, we've been taught this, maybe even our whole lives. I mean, Thomas was well acquainted with all the scriptures, all the prophecies, And Jesus had fulfilled them all, but there was some reluctance in his heart because sometimes things seem too good to be true, right? 
They seem too good to be true. It's not that he didn't want to believe this. It was just so hard to imagine that it was real, that this was really happening. And maybe that's you. Let me say this. Whoever you are and whatever position you find yourself in, the fact is that Jesus was raised from the dead. Whether you struggle to believe that or not doesn't leave the truth of it hanging in the balance. Jesus is alive. This is a fact. This is something that is just true. This is the reality. If you struggle to believe that, then you just struggle to walk in reality. We all do. But this is the truth. This was the truth when Thomas disbelieved. I want you to take note here of this interaction that Jesus has with Thomas. He said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand here. Place it in my side. He knew what was in Thomas's heart. When Thomas had said these things, Jesus wasn't standing in the room. If he was standing in the room, Thomas wouldn't have said these things. But Jesus knew them. Hey, look, Jesus knows what's in your heart. And I don't say that to scare you. I say that to comfort you, although it is kind of scary. He knows what's in our hearts. He knows where we struggle to believe. He knows that there are parts of our heart where we believe, but we struggle to believe. You know what I'm talking about? To walk in that belief, to stake our lives on that belief, to live as if these things we believe are true. Here's what he says. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, I know that in this moment here, you're thinking, well, I mean, if Jesus, risen from the dead, showing me scars, says don't disbelieve, but believe, of course you believe. Of course you do. At this point, Thomas got everything he wanted. He got to see the scars on his hands. He got to touch the scar on his side where he had been pierced by the spear. Jesus came and gave him everything he wanted. He made it easy for him. Of course he can say, don't disbelieve, but believe. But you may be thinking, I haven't seen and touched the scars. If Jesus says to me, don't disbelieve, but believe, but he shows me nothing, It's harder for me. But look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are they. Blessed. If God himself says, here's one profound way that you can receive a great blessing from God, believe even though you haven't seen. There's been many times in my life when I wanted God to just split the sky and say something to me, just appear to me, give me a voice. I want some scroll to just come floating down and land in my lap and it goes, yep, it's me and I'm just good. but he hasn't done that for me. And what do I have to count it as? A curse? A curse? Is God being stingy with me to not reveal himself in these ways, to show me his scars and let me touch him? No. No, he's giving me the opportunity for a better blessing, to believe even though I haven't 
seen him. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. If you want something to hang on to, something to see, something to touch, so that you may believe, Jesus has given it to you. He has given it to you. It's his words. It's his gospel. Now, if we stop right there, this is enough for us. This is good news. And we can believe based on the testimony of those who walked with Jesus, who saw him crucified, who saw his body laid in a grave, and who saw his body risen from the dead, filled with life and with glory, it would be enough for us. But John wrote something else. He wrote several other letters, in fact, and one of them is called Revelation. It's called Revelation because God gave him a revelation. And in the very first chapter, I want you to see, this was the, an account of the last time John saw Jesus, okay, here in the, in the end of his account, the last time that he had seen Jesus with his eyes, and then here he sees Jesus again. But there's something different about Jesus, Revelation chapter 1, starting in verse 9. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, much like we are now. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, which is one who is like a human being, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and his face was shining like the sun in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Yeah. Any other thing that he says here is totally unbelievable. But to fall down before him like a dead man, he literally passed out in the presence of Jesus. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades, because he defeated death and Hades, and in his sovereign rule over all creation, he has mastery over all things, including your death. Your death can't beat you. Your death now is just this glorious pathway to the face of Christ, to stand with him in all of his brilliance and majesty and ownership. 
we have communion with the God of all that is because he's alive. Behold, he was dead, but now he is alive forevermore. Death is beaten. And those of us who have received the grace of God to have the eyes and ears of our hearts open so that we could see this Jesus, not with our eyes, but with our hearts, our spirits alive, awakened to the truth of him. Those of us who've received this grace have turned to him in faith, and we can trust him that the living Savior is living to save us. And there is no shadow of turning in him. He cannot be dissuaded from saving those who trust in him. He cannot be dethroned. He can't be talked out of it. Not through any amount of our sin. Not through our doubting. Not through our wandering. No amount of pain in this lifetime is evidence that God doesn't love us. He loves us to the end so that any amount of pain and any kind of death can't possibly undo his death and resurrection for us. This is the life of the person who knows and follows Jesus. Such good news, isn't it, bro? Such good news. That's why it's called the gospel. It's good news. So, this morning, what we want to recognize is that many of us in this room came here this morning to worship Jesus because we know, because we believe that Jesus is alive and he's reigning in heaven now and he's interceding for us, he's defending us, he's, he's advancing the gospel and his will in our lives, he's sanctifying us so that we would look more and more like him as we live our lives, as we endure and our character grows, as we hope in him and pursue him. But for many of us in this room, we may not have come here with those same intentions to worship this kind of God. We may not have known this God. And for you, we say, do not disbelieve, but believe. This living God has impressed it on our hearts that he is with us, that he's for us, and that nothing Nothing in all of creation can talk him out of his love for us who believe in him. And we invite you and we plead with you to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, through his death in your place, through his resurrection on your behalf, that you spiritually and one day physically could be raised from the dead to become part of the family of God, to have eternal life, to walk with your creator. This is not something that comes about because you finally made the right call. This is something that comes about when God's spirit moves on your heart, beckons you home, calls you, draws you 
to come and have nearness with him. So then, if you're here this morning and you hear this good news about a Savior who died for you so that you wouldn't have to die for your own sins, but then overcame this grave and vicariously rose so that you could rise and be alive forever. If the Spirit is moving on your heart, then we say to you, speak to the Lord. Speak to the Lord from faith in this truth and believe that he will save you if your heart is turned towards him to leave a life of sin and rebellion against him and to walk in a life for his glory. We're going to, in just a few minutes, uh, baptize three people who have all had their hearts awakened by the Holy Spirit to turn to the Lord Jesus, to believe in him, to entrust their lives to him. And baptism is a picture of Jesus being dead, buried, and raised to this new, powerful life full of glory. And we just identify with him in his death, burial, and resurrection through baptism. And we want to celebrate this picture together. So we've got three who are going to be baptized. And I hope that you will see this for what it is meant to be. And I hope for those of you who understand that and who see the gospel demonstrated, you'll take it as an opportunity to praise God with uh, these two brothers and this one sister and that we can celebrate with them and count them as brothers and as a sister and welcome them into the family. So let's pray and then they'll come forward. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.